Hey, welcome to Adventures in Angular, the podcast where we keep you updated on all things Angular related. This show is produced by two companies, Top End Devs and Envoy. Top End Devs is where we create Top End Devs to get top end pay and recognition while working on interesting problems and making meaningful community contributions. And Envoy, which offers remote design and web development services with specialization in Angular for companies that truly care about quality. In today's episode, we'll talk about Angular directives. Don't enough yet. I know you might think this is too basic, but that's exactly what we want to dismystify today. Directives are super powerful and heavily underutilized. In today's show, we will show you powerful use cases for directives. My name is Lucas Paganini. I'm the CEO of Envoy and your host in the podcast. Joining me in today's episode is Armin Vardanian. Hey, everyone. And Subrat Mishra. Hello. All right, so Armin, you are going to be the star of the show today because Armin wrote a series of articles about how to use the full potential of directives in Angular. And we will be picking out examples from this, the articles that Armin wrote. So we will be leaving links to the articles in the show description. I encourage all of you to before uh, to after the show, go take a look at the articles and leave a like there because they are super well written and the examples are really good so they definitely deserve as much recognition as they can get so armin could you introduce the audience about in which ways you think directives are underutilized and then we can start from there yeah sure uh, first of all thanks lucas for promoting my articles way better than i do <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i always knew that our directives are one of the important tools in Angular, but actually during writing these articles, I also learned a lot about how we can use them to generally simplify templates. That, that's their main purpose. Like Templates are the hard part in Angular. Usually the code isn't always that understandable. There's lots of boilerplate like tags, closing tags, attributes, some stuff that you don't really need. Some stuff that kind of doesn't allow you to read the code that clearly. And on top of that, we now have the template syntax, we have components, new HTML elements, more nesting, bindings, event bindings, and so on. So usually templates are the place where most of the mess is going on. We focus a lot on like the class part of a component, for example, where we write the actual logic. But there's lots of logic going on in a template too. So one of the first things you learn when you begin with Angular is something like the ng-if directive, right? And the documentation will tell you that this is like writing an if statement and it will change based on its input. It will show or hide the element. It will remove it from the DOM. It's a structural directive, which is something, something, something. And lots of people don't really know what a structural directive is, what's the difference and so on. But the reality is, is that... Uh, Beyond the native, uh, let's say, directives that we have, we have like five or six, I guess. There is a huge number of use cases where you can solve your problem, you can make your code more reusable, you can make something more composable, especially with the new APIs, just using a directive instead of whatever you're trying to do right now. Sometimes directives kind of replace components. Sometimes you don't really need a component or you don't need to directly drop the component in the template for it to work. Sometimes you need uh, to communicate between components. And when we say communicate between components, what we usually mean is that like, you know, inputs, outputs, I don't know, state management, 
observables, but you really can do that with directives too. Or I don't know, you, you need some very local logic on some piece of template. And most of the times it just goes to be some logic that are going to be copy pasted. Maybe someone will try to extract that logic to a service, apply that logic, but you can really apply this part to the business logic. If you're doing some business logic, I don't know, handling permissions, I don't know, loading some data and so on, which is the part of business logic, but the actual DOM rendering, DOM showing and so on parts, you don't really want the service to do that, right? So lots of people opting for components and that is understandable. Components are a good tool, obviously, but I believe that Angular is built on directives more than it is built on components. You can sort of have just one component. You're not going to, obviously, you're going to have lots of components, but you can have one component and just inside of it, you can build anything you want, but you, you're going to use lots of different directives and every single one of them is going to do some particular thing that is super reusable and is super useful in that context. Okay. So today I really want to focus on advanced use cases on situations where templates can be simplified and made more reusable uh, with directives and situations where we can where we can sort of uh, use different tricks that directives have because lots of people don't know about the small tricks. We're going to talk about it. Uh, so I think we can just go on chronologically because each article focuses on one aspect of directives and see how it goes. <laughs> that works. I would like us to start from bringing the use cases that you brought on your articles, okay. because I think by tackling the use cases, it makes it so much clearer when you can use a directive, because I think the biggest problem that Angular developers have with when they should use a directive is exactly that they don't know when a logic can be isolated in a direct in a directive level. And most times they think, oh, this needs to be in a component. So by bringing those examples, I think we can start dismissifying that. So yeah, let's start with the first one. What is the first use case, Armin? I absolutely agree with this approach. I want to try to give each of these article examples a sort of generic name so people have more familiarity when they kind of discover these use cases in their own code bases, right? So after, I want for people to, after reading these articles, after listening to this podcast, I want them to see in their code that, oh, you know, this is one of those use cases. Maybe a directive would help here. So let's start with the first one. I think the first example of the, what the directive can achieve is I have this HTML element, for example, that has some specific properties like an input that is not just a block or something. And I want to build something on top of it. Uh, so my example that I use in the article is a password strength meter. So when the user is typing something, uh, we want to show them uh, a bar or I don't know, a score or whatever, right? Uh, the details are not important, but what is important is that we have a password input and around it, kind of in this local area in the template, we want to build some logic, but we really don't want to put that logic in this parent component, in the host component. We don't want it there because, well, who knows? Maybe we have several password, several pages that contain password inputs uh, and so on. And uh, for example, we have a registration page that has like two passwords, like password and confirm password. So we really want to be as precise as we want, we don't want to repeat that code and so on. So one first instinct might be uh, to maybe write a component that will wrap around um, an input tag, right? And then do everything inside of it. So that is not bad. 
obviously, but components are a more strong sort of coupling, right? If I put, like, basic example, if I put my input in a component, that's okay, but what if in some other place I need really different styling for this input? Or, I don't know, I need to add some property or add another directive on top of it on some another place. That could be a problem. I can mitigate that problem with using content projection, but then I cannot make my component uh, to be a control value accessor by itself. Maybe I want to do a validation on it inside of it. Then the connection would be lost. It, it would be a mess, right? Uh, and even if I do make it into a control value accessor, that would mean the component will just grow large, right? So what I can do instead, I can write a simple directive that will bind automatically to all password inputs. And I can do that with the selector. So what, the first misconception that we're kind of busting here is that you need to put an attribute on an element so it will work. That That's not true. Uh, the selectors of Angular directives are very powerful. You can bind to HTML elements directives. So you can write a directive that works on all developments. You can bind to an attribute that is the most used case, like the most useful example, but obviously the other are useful too. We can bind even to a CSS class in an Angular directive. We can say if this element has, I don't know, dot happy class, for example, we can add some styles. I don't know. That's a stupid use case, obviously, but who knows? Maybe you're doing something with the CSS and then you want to add some actual JS functionality on top of it. So it can also be a scenario. I never did that, but it is possible. So in this case, we are binding to all password inputs, the input type password. And what we are doing here is what we want is to be for it to be super customizable, right? We don't want uh, the directive itself to actually, I don't know, write something or create a component and append it somewhere. We can possibly want that in other examples. But here we just want uh, to be able to kind of take an input in the template and understand how strong is the password that the user wrote there, right? So to achieve that, we just use the export as functionality of the directive. Export as is a piece of metadata that you can put on in the directive decorator. Uh, you, it gets a string, which is essentially the name of the component. You, in this case, we can name it, I don't know, password meter, for example, right? What it does, it allows to extract the reference to the directive instance in the template. So if the directive has some state or some method or whatever, you can call it in a template, you can access it, access it in the template and just use it. So if we just bind to the input, uh, calculate the password strength when, I don't know, the user types, we can do it with host listener or something, then we can just store it in a property. Like we have a strength property on the directive and that's it. And that's it. Then in the template where we want to use it, we can just drop a, a local variable on this element, on the password input with the, the hashtag symbol. I don't know, how do, do you say that symbol? I don't know, I, I call it the hashtag symbol. <laughs> is it? Is it yeah, or pound. Maybe. Hash? Yeah, you can name a local variable and get the reference to this particular input's password directive. Sounds a bit complicated. It's simpler than that. You just get the reference to the component class instance. And now you can just do the password meter dot strength, or I don't know, if you name your variable x, you can just do x dot strength, and you have it. Now in the template, you can do whatever you want with it. You can customize it. The input remains a simple password input. Now it's not wrapped into anything. 
if there is just a bit of functionality added on on its top which we can access elsewhere and use to build i don't know we can build an ng switch somewhere and just say oh your password is weak oh no i don't know your password is medium strength or it's strong or whatever so uh, it doesn't impose anything it's super customizable and so on it would cause no problem and it automatically binds to those inputs. If you don't want it to be bound to whatever particular input in that example, you either can add an input property, like, I don't know, uh, no password check or whatever. But an easier way would be to just use the selector itself because actually in the Angular directive selectors, you can also use the CSS not uh, like pseudo class or how they call it and just say not and some property. For example, no check. And then just drop a no check on any input and directive won't work on it. It won't even start working on it. So no need to write if statements inside your code, like if this is working, then do this logic and so on. You can further customize it. You can use directives together with their, uh, dependency injection. And we do that. They are the, the series of the articles actually called superpowers, the directives and dependency injection. So in this particular example, we use dependency injection to get a function that the user can provide. And when I say the user, I mean the developer that uses the directive. So when the developer that uses this directive, they can provide a function that does the checking. Maybe they need a custom checking. Uh, some may be satisfied with just checking, like the length of the password is long, then it's strong in my book. But some other people may want to validate it against the regex. So if we want it to work globally, we don't want to provide uh, this function via an input every time, right? So we can just use a provider. So there we uh, declare a provider function that the user can give his, their own function as an argument, and then the directive will just automatically know that, oh, you, I'm going to use this function. Uh, we went a bit further there with the DI stuff. We made it so it like we could provide it with, with an input if we want for this one particular input element to work differently than all the others and so on. But I think we're talking more about directives. I'm not going to go too deep into that. I just mean that with the directive dependency injections, you can always like provide configurations to your directives. And that is a super cool thing to have. Nice. Before we go on to more use cases, I would like to expand a bit on some of the things that you mentioned in this use case, which I thought were most relevant to uh, Angular developers. So the highlight of this first use case is, at least to me, definitely the power of selectors. The fact that you can select uh, what gets, what becomes an instance of the directive by not just using attribute selectors. And I think that one way that the audience can maybe click on that and understand it is imagine that you're doing document.querySelector or query selector all to find all elements that match a given query selector. The string that you're going to put in document query selector all is the same that you can put in a directive selector. So I am really unsure if there's any limitation on Angular side in that sense of how much of the query selector syntax is supported because uh, I actually believe that it's just using the same logic that the browser uses to select an, an element. 
And thus, you can apply a directive to elements that have a class, just like Armin was saying. So you, the same way that you can do document query selector and find elements based on a class, you can also apply a directive based on a class. You can also do it based on a tag. So for example, you can apply it to all inputs or inputs of type password. And this way you would be able to apply your password strength directive to all inputs without needing to add another attribute. But you could go way further with that. Like literally, you could use, I am afraid of saying everything, but uh, almost everything that would work in document query selector, you could use on a directive selector. Maybe it's everything would work in both scenarios, but I haven't tested all of them to make sure and I don't know how oh, the yeah. source code of Angular works. So does it work, Armin? Like, can you use uh, No, there are limitations. It's not the same. Well, the first and most obvious limitation is obviously, like, you can't build a dynamic query. You just put it statically, and you can't depend on a config, on a condition. You need to do that, all that logic in the directive, which is okay. It's not that bad. But you, you can't really use all the types of CSS selectors. Like, you cannot select a child of something, Okay. You cannot apply that in an Angular directive. So you can't you can say, I'm going to work on all the elements that are descendant of a div that has a class that has something. You can do a div that has a class. You, you, you need to particularly target an element. You cannot target an element in relation to other elements. And that is a bit you know, limiting. I can understand that because it it doesn't, if we dive deeper and we understand how directives are applied, they are not applied with like document query selector because, well, first of all, when they get rendered, you can't really know in what context you are rendering it. Maybe you're rendering it in, in, in a server, right? That's why we're using the renderer tool and so on and such. But also, it's kind of like when our templates get translated to TypeScript and then to JavaScript, there are specific functions that do all those commands. In the compile time, when it is being compiled to the JavaScript, the Angular compiler already decides that, oh, you know, this element needs to be possibly wrapped in a directive, and it will put it there and it will create the binding. I mean, it will create the code that will create the bindings after that. Doing like ancestor or relational checkings, that wouldn't fly in the compile time at all, I guess. Maybe there could be other approaches, but uh, for example, like in Angular JS, I believe you could do like some weird stuff like that. But I think it's not a big limitation. I mean, how many times do you really need to run logic on based on a relation of HTML? elements. And anyway, if you want some sort of relation, you can create two directives, a child and a parent. Like imagine how a form group works together with form control name, right? You write a form tag, for example, you put the form group and the reference to your form as an input. And then inside of that form element, you can just say form control name and the name of that control, right? They interoperate together. They they can inject. They use dependency injection under the hood to work on all of that. I will probably cover that in the sixth part. I was thinking about it today. I was wondering how uh, form control name specifically works because it needs to be a child of the form group and they need to kind of understand. 
yeah, they use dependency injection on the hood to handle that. Mm-hmm. So it's still possible, but yet again, selector are still very powerful. You can achieve lots of stuff with them. So uh, I guess this is the first step when people who already know Angular work with Angular. This is the first step of understanding that, oh, you know, I am uh, actually realizing that there's more of it with directives. This is the first step to being like an directive expert. The selectors is the first step to know that there are more possibilities of that. I think uh, as you were saying about the form group, one thing may coming to my mind is the most use case of what we are discussing now will be maybe uh, instead of having only a password strength, people will always check like in the same directive, you, you can also check all the password possibilities your company allows, like maybe the some specific character. Or I think that all things can be handled for a particular rule basis. Or like here we are checking for maybe in vertically you are checking I guess for six or eight length. Uh, the length would be six or ten, and, and all those things. And we can also check the characters and number of amounts. So what I have one question coming to my mind, which while you and Lucas are discussing about uh, having a regex on the uh, selector or same like query parameter, I'm just nitpicking, but uh, but will it affect a compile time a bit if you are if you are going with a normal uh, directive way, normal directive name without a, like a input type password or, or or input type text or something? So uh, have you like just gone through any how much uh, time it maybe it may maybe in milliseconds, but I'm just curious like how Angular decide it you uh, need to go through all the input and check type and apply on them. What I that's a really good question actually. What I imagine is the thing is with the, with the directives it's kind of reversed. Mm-hmm. You're not when, you, when when Angular compiled it to the actual like JavaScript code. The advantage that you have in that situation is when you use document query selector, like if you're selecting with an ID, it's mm-hmm. way faster than selecting Actually, yeah. the class name because it's going to go through the entire tree yeah. and so on. And it would be harder if there is something like I want to select all the inputs of type text that have this class and so on that will be even long. They'll take even longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in this situation, you have the document, right? And you say, go find somewhere something. And you have lots of HTML elements, right? Mm -hmm. But with the Angular rendering, how it works and how it applies directives is the reverse. You have the element and you need to check if it applies to some directive. And you have like five directives, for example, Mm -hmm. in a given context, especially with standalone when you directly import the... the, you, You imported one directive, you just check if it binds to this one. Right, so it's a linear check, and you just need to check this, 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 this element, and like that's it. So I don't think uh, more complex selectors would be of any significance. Like maybe the checking would be like it would need to perform like three more direct reference checks, for example. But that's a matter of one or two milliseconds, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it will give any noticeable changes. In in Angular JS, I remember distinctly that if you had the directive that could like bump into lots of elements, because everything in Angular JS was in runtime, then it would be like, yeah, I need to go through this entire DOM tree and find uh, I don't know elements that maybe match some of my maybe directives. When I'm registering a directive, that means I'm going through the entire thing and seeing whether something sticks. 
But here we have the compiler, and during the compile time, it builds in, in a way that it will possibly know that this element could apply. It will create the code then during the rendering. It will mm -hmm. know how to check it. It will know what bindings it has, and so on and so on. So, uh, yeah, I think the answer is that there is no significant difference. Yeah, I think, I think it makes sense. If, if it is going the reverse way, that means it has a map of Okay, input type password will go to this directive and just apply. Yeah, makes sense. I think the same will also happen in the SSR, right? In the server-side rendering, I think. Uh, but it yeah, I will guess so. compile and just to, yeah, yeah I guess so. got it. Cool, Ready okay. Ready to move to the next one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's do it. What's the uh, next use case? Yeah, I love the next one because of the magic that template refs and view container refs in Angular have. I really love it, and I love it how it makes templates so much simpler. So the idea behind behind this use case is that you don't really need components in the situations where you need to change something in the template structurally. Well, we have structural directives and Lots of people aren't very familiar with them. We just know that, you know, NG is a structural directive and so on. But the real power comes is when you kind of insert a component somewhere in your template and even wrap it around some template that you have uh, and make it work without having to write lots of like nestings in your HTML and, and so on. So the example that I'm using in this article is we sort of have uh, the situation where we have we want to display a loading spinner somewhere, okay? And it could be on any element, right? So maybe one block, uh, there's a button. If the user clicks on that button, there is an HTTP request. And we want to show loading and we want to block that part of the page so the user doesn't click other buttons or I don't know, other links. But the other parts of the page are okay because the loading there is really related only to this component, right? So how do we do that? How do we create a reusable thing? Uh, so obviously we have to build some component for that. We need to build, we can build a loader component. We will pass it an input, which will say true or false, right? And it will have content projection. It will have ng content, which will be put inside some, I don't know, some divs and then based on the input, it will either show this spinner and block the element or not. So that's great, that's, that's not bad, that's not problematic at all, but if you have lots of different elements that can have access to this feature, this loading spinners, your template will become harder to read. You will have these loader components everywhere. If you have large components that have like six, seven, eight levels of nesting of HTML tags, and then you're adding on top of it like another, uh, I don't know, app loader. And maybe inside of it, you also have some smaller block that can itself have its spinner in some cases. Then you're adding way another level of nesting. In general, you know, if you're adding a component that has content, it means you're adding two lines of code. You're adding an opening tag, you're adding a closing tag. Uh, but in reality, we're not doing anything component-ish. Right. We're just adding some modification to an existing piece of template. We just say, oh, this, this part of template, it can be closed with CSS or whatever, or a spinner can appear there. It's not a real like component stuff. Uh, what if we could just drop a property like loading and say, if it's true over this div or this pen or this, I don't know, block or this maybe other component, then it will just show the loading spinner over it. 
So if you already have the loading component, it will just take several small steps to just turn it into a directive, uh, rather, rather building a directive that utilizes this component and just glue it together through the template. And there we use structural directives. So structural directives are the ones that have access to the template where it is being invoked. With this uh, asterisk notation, right, we get an ing template, and then we have the directive, we can inject the template reference, template ref. So now we have the template, we just need to take this template, put this into the loading component, right, and then <clears throat> put this whole structure back where it came from. So of course we can do create component now, right, we can then create the loading component, we have the template, two steps remain. How, how do we give this template to the component? Well, when creating a component via viewContainerRef.createComponent, right? We have this function to create a dynamic component. You can pass it a reference to a, uh, the root node of this ng template that you have. So now your template magically appears inside the component dynamically. It's just actually just created just two lines of code. You get to create a component, and you add uh, projectable nodes, right? There's this uh, option. And then you give it the template ref.rootNode. And that's it, okay? Now you now have this loading component with the template that came from wherever. Then there's this last line of code where we add the component with the create embedded view, right? We sort of send it back now. So whenever on any element now with this directive, we can drop asterisk loading equals true or false or whatever and it will just show that component uh, wrapped on top of template that you have on top of that element that you're using the directive so this can apply in lots of other scenarios you want to make a this any almost any situation where you have simple content projection you can turn it into a directive and your error template will become simpler don't use it in situations when your child component that receives the projected content is doing some heavy listing. Like if you are building a tabs component, for example, that receives the child tabs and renders them and shows them in different scenarios, you should probably go with just a, a component because directly would make it really messy. And what constitutes a tab or now is really, you know, weird. You don't want some tabs to be spans and other tabs to be divs and so on. But if you are just adding uh, a functionality that is related to DOM on top of existing templates, then, then it's really advisable to just create a structural directive. Even if you need another component to wrap it there, well, here you go, you can do that. And it's a really powerful thing. It will come up like in the later use cases when you can you know, dynamically create a component. If you can dynamically create a component, you can use a directive. Like uh, on top of my head, like I have this component and I always want to append it with another component. So instead of going copy-pasting that component everywhere when I need the other one, like, I don't know, I have a custom input and after that I want an error list component, for example. I always want it to be there. I don't need to copy paste that component everywhere. I can edit any time that I encounter the selector of this other component. I can also use uh, component selectors as selectors for directives that makes them extra powerful. I can select all the, I don't know, custom input uh, components and add an error list component to it. That's it. I don't need to write it in the template. So 
yeah, it's kind of a really powerful tool if you think about it. Yeah, I like that. We had a recent episode where we talked about structural directives. It gets pretty tricky to explain it in a podcast format, but once you look at the code, it sounds way simpler, right? So I like how you mentioned this in the articles because most developers, they don't know that they can create directives with the asterisk in front of them. A lot of developers think that this is like the mark of an Angular native directive. Well, up until the point where they actually use a third-party library that has this asterisk in front, and then they're like, wait, what? <laughs> but yeah, you can create those directives and they give you a lot more power because as Armin was saying, you are able to dynamically decide when to render the template that was inside of that uh, structural directive. And you can also render it multiple times, which is the case of NG4. And that allows you to do so many powerful things. Like the example here was a loading directive, but you could do so much more. For example, I once implemented a, a tab structure. So I had an application which inside of it, there was a page that needed to have multiple tabs. So it had like an editor and you would you should be able to have many tabs. So how did I declare the, how did I organize my code to support this tab functionality? I used structural directives. So I would have a directive which would be tab and that I would use that directive in the element that would uh, declare the default template of a tab. And this directive would also inject the data that would go into that tab. And then I could render, I could reference that data from inside the template. So there are so many use cases for structural directives. They are extremely powerful. So I highly encourage everyone to take a closer look on that feature of Angular and see how you can reuse your code by using structural directives. You know, just uh, another example, again, just came up in my mind from our current project. We built, we use Angular material and we build tables a lot. So we build a reusable table component. Uh, I don't go into details. It takes a list of columns. Uh, that are some particular models and just renders everything. But if you need custom content, you can project ng templates there. And you can also give it some, like uh, a dynamic header, right? And there is a header, there is a footer, and there is a search bar, and all of them can be custom. So how do you explain to the component that this is that and this is this, right? You use a structural directive. There is a table header directive. There is a table footer directive. You just drop it on an element. And now its parent component knows that where to place them, where to put them, how to work with them, what info to receive from them, and so on. So, yeah, use cases are like limitless with this. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a pretty, pretty good example, as you mentioned on table. I, I, think I remember I have used a pretty simple use case, like we have a uh, dashboard which has lots of tables so what what I, what we have done is if there is no data we we'll just display text like there is no data um, or uh, please change some condition to render the data so we didn't need not need to go and put it on every table as a if condition and just yeah. put a directive and just append the text if if the data is empty or zero that I think yeah, that's, that's exactly. a simpler use case. Yeah. What do you think? Let's move to the next use case. 
Yeah, let's. We could That's talk the one about that this you for, like. Yeah, we could talk about this for a very long time, but we can. We should definitely move to the other ones. There's so yeah. much here. But yeah. That's the one that you liked a lot, and and I also enjoy this. So uh, as I already mentioned, you can also use component selectors as selectors for the directive. So if you have, I don't know, X component, a component that has like app X or whatever you call it, you can drop the same selector for a directive, and that directive will work on all the component instances that it receives in the, I don't know, in the templates, wherever in your app. Right. So initially, it might be a bit confusing. Like, why do I need to select components? What I'm gonna do with them? Well, you know, you can inject the reference of that component in your uh, directive, and that's a cool thing. Now you've got a reference to that component, so you can play with it in this directive. It becomes really cool if you do this with the components that you didn't author, like third-party components. Like you have this, I don't know, drop-down or. some other component from a library. And the example that really stuck with me is uh, we're using PrimeNG, and PrimeNG has a calendar. Uh, like It's like a date picker, but they call it a calendar. So it receives a huge load of inputs. Like You can customize everything in it. Like year start, year end, year range, range true, max range, I don't know, so on and so on and so on. And uh, when the business requirements get kind of complicated, you end up passing lots of those inputs to the component because all of them are have been customized and don't match the default values, right? And the code becomes a real mess. Like you put uh, six calendars in a page and each one is like, you need 10 lines because you have lots of inputs. So put them, everyone on a new line, which for it to look cool. So now you've got like 60 lines of code and it's all the same. So again, uh, you could mitigate this problem if you started like wrapping all the third-party components in, in your custom wrappers, but that won't be a good thing. You will end up sort of like maintaining the, the child component itself all the time. What you really want is to kind of like hijack a component and say, you know, I want you to behave slightly differently. Okay, so you can do that. So what we did with the the calendar, and I want to mention that it wasn't really my idea. I read about it in an article by Tim Dashriver. I will also put a link to that article because that was a big inspiration for me to kind of start investigating this whole directive thing. So the idea was you put the selector of P calendar, that's how it's called, that's its selector. You inject the PrimeNG calendar or whatever, any other calendar that you're working with it. And the constructor, you just set your own default values. <laughs> you just sort of, uh, you, you come through between your template and the third-party component and say, you know, these are the default values. No, don't use the ones that you have. I, you just, you just you know, imperatively set new values. Or I don't know, call a method that it has. Uh, we, we also had a directive that sort of fixed the bug in PrimeNG because uh, it didn't run, uh, it changed detection cycle or whatever, and it didn't check for a numerical input in some of its components. So it resulted in a bug. So we just hijacked that component and said, you know, if this happens, whatever in our app, do this, the thing that you're not reacting to automatically will make you react to it with the directive. And you add zero code to your components. Like your templates get simpler, you don't need to customize anything other than you just drop the directive, it works, okay? If you want customization, again, you can go for selectors. In Tim's article, he had like really crazy use cases. For example, 
you use he also used primeng so you have a p drop down it's just usual drop down so what he did when you add the property countries on it it will automatically go uh, download the list of countries from from some api and put it inside the drop down and you don't need to do anything about it and if you think about it, like it's really crazy if you are building something around a element so I'm, I'm trying to give a recommendation right if you have an element that you can use with ng-model, right? Be it an input, be it a custom component with control value accessor, and you end up having the same pattern of logic everywhere. For example, this exact thing with the countries. Maybe you have lots of pages where people need to select a country to see something or submit a form, right? You might think, I, I don't want that. I want to copy paste all of this country loading and displaying logic in all those components. You might think, oh, let's build a country's component that will show the dropdown. But you have a, the problem. You now need to make that component to be a control value accessor and so on. But in reality, what you just wanted was to edit this list of countries to the, to the dropdown. You, you didn't really render any new HTML. You didn't really do anything. So why not solve this problem with the directives, okay? Just make the directive, load that data, and display it. Okay, or maybe not load it, but I don't know, show it from the store. If you're using something like NGRX, NGXS, or you have a special service for this, whatever business logic, you just find glue them together, okay, using a directive slicer and so on. So that really makes, it really makes both your templates simpler and even your component like TypeScript code simpler. Just don't copy paste. Some would say, oh, let's extract it to NGRX. Yeah, that's part of the solution. You still need to select the data, pass the data. You can just skip that. If you have this reusable case, if you have this recurring case, so that's a recommendation. That's a pattern. If you notice that pattern, then maybe you can apply a directive and solve it. Okay? Awesome. So basically, let's recap the central message of the three things that we mentioned thus far. So the first one was about uh, leveraging directive selectors. The second was about leveraging structural directives. And now we're talking about, again, the selectors, but in a way that you don't, that you reapply the selectors to something that maybe already has a selector. So maybe you already have a component which has that selector, and then you create a directive that also has the same selector, and then you are you don't have to, to add an unnecessary attribute. You're just adding a directive to all the components too, which I suppose that you could also do that by using uh, host directives, but there are use cases where this would go beyond just components. You could also do that for native HTML elements and et cetera. So okay. if you want to, there's a thing, if you want, like, like say you have a directive, a third party uh, that has a specific selector, okay? It's an attribute, that's it. And you want it applied to all, I don't know, uh, tab components. You can do it in like five lines of code. You write a directive that selects all the tabs and add the other directive as a host directive. And that's it. You literally the directive code co class code will be empty. We, we are just the selector and host director. The other one will be added, and that's it. If you want to interject something, yeah, you can write some other logic in the directive. But you can even with an empty just with the <laughs> directive decorator, you can find this directive from somewhere to this component somewhere. And that sounds like crazy. Definitely. Sorry, Subrat, I think you, you were going to say. Yeah, yeah. So I was just thinking, I think if someone is listening till now and one thing they could uh, get it get from this podcast, like 
everything we are doing in Angular is possible in a directive. So if we just uh, change our thought to like do it uh, in a directive, so how helpful it will be in the future and just thinking of scalability. I think that uh, uh, switch of mindset uh, will we'll uh, we'll follow us uh, on a good direction of having more directive, how we can achieve this scenario in a directive, how we can make it simplify using directive like I just Arman said, you can even use a host directive and, and just two, three line codes and it's done. You don't need to go and change it everywhere. I think uh, this mindset will help a lot of people uh, to learn directive. I think Arman, you, you can uh, write a book on directive as well. Like, <laughs> you know uh, in depth of that. Yeah, yeah one would wish so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think if someone can, you have five series already, you can add more and that eventually it'll become a book so yeah well it is possible yeah there are two more super powerful use cases that we still have to talk about but i don't know if we should on this episode because this is getting way too long at this point so perhaps we could do another part but just to tease all of you like the next two would be using outputs in your directive also as selectors and also using directives for portals. So for projecting content in different parts of the application. So we can do that in another episode, but also you don't have to wait. You can just read the series that Armin wrote and the content will be there available right now so if you're listening to this and you're like i want to know those other two then you can the link is in the description and don't forget to leave a like on these posts because they were super well written again armin did an excellent job on that and well i i honestly hate being the person that cuts things in the middle because i uh, i was also really enjoying the the conversation and the, the topic but is there anything that subret or armin that you think we should mention before we start wrapping up this episode i think we should mention that the article series itself is not yet complete <laughs> <laughs> that lot uh, I, mean, I have uh, no i have like two entries the other one will be about concretely implementing business logic concerns in directives maybe as you said like to tease a bit uh, how you can build directives that check for permissions to show stuff without like explicitly calling for NGIF and loading data and checking data. And I think in the final one, I will wrap up everything with uh, a more in-depth example cases of selectors, like all the possible things with small examples and so on, so that everyone is on the same page with uh, what we can and cannot do with the, the directive selectors. So yeah. I guess that that's uh, important to mention too. Maybe before we record the second part, I would maybe write the sixth entry, and the seventh one is just wrapping up things. So maybe it is for the better to cut in the middle. <laughs> yeah, let's create this this tension. 
Dude, if you keep this up, like, you should definitely do a book. <laughs> like, I think people would pay to have that knowledge. That is so good. And it's such an advanced uh, topic. So, yeah, th thank you for, for sharing that, honestly. That's tremendous amount of work to do it. And to share that for free, like, if whoever is listening to this episode, if you don't go read those articles, like... I don't know what you're doing. Like, they are for free, and it's extremely valuable content. So, yeah, do check the series I that Armin like is paywalls. writing. You know, I once wrote an article that turned out to be paywalled. I didn't know that it was paywalled. It was way <laughs> back in 2017, I guess, 2018. I wanted to share it with everyone, like, at my job and so on. And everyone was like, this is no, it says you need a subscription to Medium. It was on Medium, it was, yeah, it was old days. I don't oh. like paywalled content. I want to like help the community. I have courses, right? Well, I co-authored most of the courses. So at uh, that moment, yeah. like Medium automatically started putting your content behind a paywall, and it wasn't like explicitly something that you were aware of. No, I wrote. No, I wrote uh, for a publication. Someone oh, right. reached out and said, "You know, uh, you want this article to be on our publication?" I was like, "Yeah, cool. Why not?" I didn't know uh, that they were paywalling it. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. gotcha. After that, I was like, "No, I'm never doing this." A book, maybe. Okay, mm -hmm. but articles and blog posts and whatever will always be available for everyone. Yeah, that was shady. Yeah, that, that that was a weird behavior because, like, imagine you doing the work for the publication and then they getting money on top of your work. That's so wrong, man. Yeah. Yeah, sort of. Well, uh, I mean, I think the model of the Medium subscription was that if your article was paywalled, you automatically got money from Medium. But, you know, you need to write, like, a really big banger of an applic uh, article to like get something obviously you weren't gonna get a lot of stuff writing about angular because i don't know if fifty thousand people wrote your uh read your article and it's uh kind of more than i got on my most popular article i think my most popular article got around like thirty-five thousand readers which sounds a lot, but like, you know, people writing about politics get like 7 million readers. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Okay. Thank you. So let's start wrapping up and doing our promos then. So, Subrat, let's start with you, man. How are you doing? What are you working on? Do you want to promote anything? Uh, yep. I think uh, I am working on. Uh, first of all, on my on my channel, I think nowadays I'm little bit busy on work and have started with uh, some other projects as well. So not that focus on on the frequency of my videos. I've just posted a video on model federation and then I'll continue with the model federation using NX. So that for the uh, it will be for the micro content way. So first I uh, release a video of a series of video how we can expose micro frontend without using model filtration like wrapping everything and just put it now it's time for uh, how you can expose the functionality of your application as a micro frontend and use that so that's uh, i think one thing i would like to say and hopefully <laughs> the series will finish and i will put the videos wish me luck <laughs> i wish you luck uh, and yeah as i was promoting armin's content like i also think that you definitely deserve more people watching your content 
you do such advanced videos. Like the other day I was just browsing YouTube and then your video was recommended about mm -hmm. micro front ends. And I was like, oh, I'm actually interested in learning that. That was a really good video. So yeah, man, congrats on on, on that. And I hope your your efforts uh, yeah, pay like out when, and people recognize it. Yeah, like when Armon says, right, you, if you write a video on politics or music or comedy, you get a tons of views. But with anything related to study, and we are like, our content is needs to study and then again needs to angular so it's like mm. very few traffic but yeah what about depends. you armin what would you like to promote i feel like this whole episode was a huge promotion of my content so i'm gonna be <laughs> humble and say you know nothing <laughs> i don't know what else can i promote <laughs> i'm working in an enterprise i don't have stuff to share <laughs> <laughs> that's fair i think i think that's a good argument the entire episode was a big promotion which i'm very okay with like if all episodes get to be this way but we're talking about good content i see no problem with it so hopefully yeah. it's helpful for people it definitely will be i think so okay so in my case i am going to promote my company but more specifically i'm going to promote a program that we have for referencing clients to my company so maybe you're aware of but my company specialized in web development with angular we are highly specialized in angular based projects and if you the developer that is listening to this you are in an organization or you just know someone that needs help in an Angular-based project, it might be that they want to totally outsource the project or they simply want more Angular developers on, on their team to help with the project. So it might be project outsourcing or staff augmentation. No matter the format, you can recommend the client to us and get up to 10,000 US dollars. So I don't know. I think that's a that's a good deal. If I were to recommend somebody to to a company and they ended up closing and I get close to, to ten thousand dollars, I would be very happy. So if you're interested in that, uh, if you're interested in learning more about this program, recommending someone, then go to unvoid.com/refer-clients to learn more. There's a link to this page in the show notes. So that's my promotion. And yeah, um, in terms of picks, I'll be honest, I don't have any picks for today's show. But what about you too? Um, Armin, do you have any picks? Yeah, if you think about it, uh, I'm going to talk about some crazy stuff right now. So I was rewatching this movie and yeah, it's going to be my pick. I watched it like when I was a kid several times. I used to love it. So I thought I can rewatch it. So, you know, I'm coming, I'm from Armenia. It's a post-Soviet country. So like old Soviet movies, both like Armenian and Russian and other from the other post-Soviet countries are pretty popular here. Even, even if with the younger generation, well, I'm the younger generation. I wasn't born in the Soviet Union. So uh, my parents were. And so there is this Soviet comedy that is actually quite brilliant. If you think about it, if you have heard about the book, uh, the I, I think in English they said the, the Master and Margarita. I don't know. It's it's quite a popular book. There have been even like Western movies on it. So the same writer has this short story that they made into a comedic movie, and it's about time travel. But it's a Soviet movie, so it's 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 kind of crazy. And it's about a dude who builds a time machine and goes back to like medieval Russia and 
there is this guy who looks exactly like the Russian Tsar Ivan the Terrible, they say, or Ivan Grozny, if you know how Russians call call him, and they switch places, and there is this whole insane thing going on with people think that this guy who is actually some random dude from USSR is the Tsar, and and there's the reverse thing going on in Moscow with the Tsar gets arrested and so on, and people can't figure out why he's behaving like he's the most powerful guy ever. I remember that I used to love it. If you're a history buff like me, I mean, I don't think you will learn anything new from it, but uh, it's a really it's a really great comedy, and I really enjoyed re-watching it. Like, like every single line from that movie is a sort of a meme, is a sort of a quote. Everyone who watched it remembers you say this, and everyone, oh, yeah, you know, this from this movie. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... And the movie is called... Well, they translated it into English, like... Ivan Vasilievich, Back to the Future, but that's kind of a stupid translation. I don't like it. If we go verbatim, it will be something like Ivan Vasilievich is changing his profession. Uh, you know, he used to be a Tsar and now he's just a random guy in the Soviet Union. <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to be my pick. So if you if you like history or you, for whatever weird reason, if you're listening in the West, like Soviet movies uh, so, and haven't seen this one, I'll definitely give it a watch. That's gonna be my pick for today. Cool. Right. Oh, by the way, uh, oh, sorry to to cut you off, yeah, but just ahead. to mention one quick thing. In the last episode, I mentioned Super Pumped was a series about the history of Uber and how it all started. Uh, but I was still in the middle of the series, so I didn't know if it was really that good. Just to, yeah, yeah, I think it is. I finished it. So if anyone was in doubt thinking, oh, I don't know, Lucas just said that he watched the first episode. I think it it was really good. So yeah, it's on Amazon. So super pumped. That's the name of the the show. Go ahead, Subrat. Sorry to cut you. Yeah, so you picked Super Pump then. So the have it, do have a pick this time also. So I, I think I will go the usual way of my, like I'll pick a book. Is the I think it's a famous book, 80-20 Principle by Richard Koch. I think it mostly shows that 80% of work is done by 20% of things. It's, I think it's a good mindset. If you have overburdened with work and you want to let go something, then it helps you to decide and those things. So I think nowadays it's kind of happening the similar thing with me so i'm just kind of having it in a similar situation so i'm just trying to reread that or re-listen that again so thought to share with you guys so have a read if it is fine and if it help you i think it's it might to be common uh from by seeing the name 80 20 principle by oh, okay you know that 80 percent of work will done by 20 percent thing i don't need to read a book but if you go inside the book, then you then you learn a lot of how or can be the mindset and how it will help you to decide on things that with those twenty percent things which will do your eighty percent work. So that was the pick for this week. Awesome. All right. I think that is it for today. Again, Subret Armin, thank you so much for your time. We are all in different parts of the world, so the time is always terrible for yeah. everyone in different ways. Like to me, is exactly at lunch. Uh, for Armin, is super late. For Subret, is close to uh, the work time. Like it's it 
<laughs> it's never great for no one. And I highly appreciate you two taking the time to participate on the episode. So yeah, thanks. Oh, well, happy to talk to you guys. <laughs> Thank you guys. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.